The scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 through 11. And if you open your Bibles, and if you've got these blue Bibles, it's on page 1153. So it's Isaiah 6, chapter 5, I'm sorry, Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 11. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jonathan. All right. Well... Similar to last week's spiritual discipline of submission, we're going to continue our foray into spiritual disciplines, and especially those that are the most popular that people love doing. Today we're going to talk about fasting and frugality. Yay! (laughs) Giving up things we like, living a little more simple. Aren't these the things we always strive for every day? Sure. Yeah. These are the fun ones. Fasting and frugality are often not disciplines I choose to take on for myself. They're not ones I enter into easily. They're not ones I wake up in the morning and just joyfully step into. I'm going to let some things go today. Or I feel like I might spend a little less money today. In fact, growing up through most of my Christian walk, I don't know why I felt like this, but I can think of at least a few times when I told some people that, you know, that fasting thing, that's really not for me. I don't really feel like God's calling me to do that. I don't know why I felt like I had enough self-control to feel like I wasn't getting distracted with things or whatever, that I didn't need to fast, but I might have been a tad bit selfish and arrogant in that. And finally, one summer at summer camp, God tapped me on the shoulder a little bit. We were told, I was being a counselor, and we were told at the beginning of the day that at dinner we'd be doing an activity. And that activity was going to be exposing the kids at camp that week to what it felt like to be in a situation where some people had a lot and some people didn't have so much. We were learning about the diversity of God's world and what it looked like and how you would respond to that. And so they said at dinner, we were going to give some of the kids hamburgers and French fries and Coke, way more than that table would need. Another table would get tortillas, 
black beans and some water. Enough for the table, but definitely less than the hamburgers and dyke and coke and french fries. And then another table set would get just beans and water that looked dirty because they had put some of that black bean juice in it. And so they were preparing us for this and help, you know, like help your kids get ready and whatever. And as soon as they told us that at the end of it, like I said, I heard God tapping me on the shoulder and said, you need to prepare for this. You need to fast today. And I was like, uh, okay, give that a shot. I learned that day through fasting that I needed to rely on God more. I needed to have faith that God would supply my needs even though I felt like I was hungry and I was thirsty and that I needed to figure out how to solve that on my own. And it was interesting as the exercise unfolded, being at the table that actually got the beans and the dirty water, that God continued to reveal to me, like, even as you're hungry, here's food that's really not going to be enough for you, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond? Fasting in that way not only gave space in my heart to hear more from God that day, but it also connected me deeper with that exercise they were trying to teach the kids, and of course the counselors that day too, like myself, that fasting not only connects us deeper with God, but it connect, can connect us deeper with our neighbors and friends around us who sometimes don't have as much as we do. And what do we do in that situation? I think these two spiritual disciplines of fasting and frugality might seem a little disconnected, but today I'm going to show you that they are very much intimately connected in how we grow in our walk. They are not disciplines that should just stop with us. Fasting and frugality are not just individual endeavors, but they should drive us towards service, towards graciousness, and benevolence to others. On the surface, they seem restrictive and prohibiting. I need to stop doing this. I need to give this up. And that feels weird. But really what that allows us to do is to step into greater freedom that Christ is offering us. So if I was to sum up a big idea today, I would say that these two disciplines give us new freedoms. It opens us up to new opportunities to be good neighbors and can help us resist temptation and sin. So let's begin with fasting. Why should we fast? In the beginning of this chapter of Isaiah that we were reading, if you go back to verse verse 1 and read through up to verse 5 and 6, God kind of calls out the Israelites that they're not fasting correctly. He points out that they are spending most of the time focusing on themselves, how holy they can be because they're fasting. Look at all the wonderful things we're giving up God. Aren't we so great? They're wanting God to look at them, point at them, recognize them. They're pointing fingers at other people saying, you aren't fasting enough. You're not holy enough. You're not doing it right. Look, I'm doing it right. I'm fasting. God even says in verse 3, on the days that they fast, he says, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. That doesn't sound like fasting. One of the commentaries I read, the Africa Bible commentary, says humbling oneself is useless if it is merely a matter of appearing humble. 
you just want to humble yourself just so you can look humble, you might not be doing it for the right reasons. After God calls out the Israelites, he continues with the verses that we read today. He says, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? What does that kind of fasting look like? First of all, it is freedom from dependence on that which may distract us and get in the way of our reliance on God. Again, it's freedom from dependence on that which may distract and get in the way from our reliance on God. We sang the song, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. Fasting forces us to lean on those arms. Another commentary I read says, The act of fasting is designed as a process that leads to purification and a humbling of oneself before God. Throughout the whole of Scripture, the practice of fasting is used as a way of removing distractions from people's lives so that they can focus on God. It's a way of repenting from sins and you realize that you've done something wrong. You want to get all of this stuff out of the way so you can say to God, I am returning my focus completely to you. I am sorry for what I've done. And it's a way that we can express with our hearts and our minds and our body that full reliance on God that Jesus points out in the great greatest commandment, that we love our God with our hearts and our souls and our minds, and fasting allows us to do that. When we fast, the focus for ourselves fades into the background as we push aside the things that are distracting, the things that we may need to repent from so that we can focus on God. And when we do that, the promises that appear at the end of the reading today will come into clearer focus. The Lord says, the Lord will guide you always if you fast in this way. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden and like a spring whose waters never fail. It was Charles Arian grabbed me a little bit this morning on the way into the sanctuary and he said, that image of a sun-scorched land. Do we feel like we're living in that a little bit right now? Yeah. And when we fast, we can see beyond that and we can trust that God will satisfy our needs and our hunger and our need for mercy and graciousness even when it looks like the land is not going to produce and support us. Even when the world around us seems to be like it's working against us, we can trust in God when we fast and understand that he is the one who provides and we can trust him. When we repent through fasting, we are able to more fully focus on God and get all the stuff out of the way that might be in our way. When we fast, we start to suddenly realize that I'm okay. God loves me. Fasting from something may sting. If you're fasting from food, you will feel hungry. You might be a little hangry from time to time. But there always comes that reminder of like, from God, I love you. You're fine. You're going to make it. Trust in me. When we fast, we are reminded that we are forgiven and that God is merciful. When we repent, we must know and be reminded that we are forgiven. If we're fasting out of repentance, those moments of pain and hunger can come like any time that we're reminded we've done something wrong. And then on the flip side of that, the reminders that come of you're okay can be replaced with you're forgiven. God loves you. And if it's God speaking to you, he would say, I love you. 
When we fast, when we get rid of those distractions, when we repent, when we open ourselves up more to God's forgiveness and love in our lives, that then opens up space for us to be a service to others and maybe even to feed others. Verse 7 of what we read today says, the kind of fast that God wants, he says, is it not to share your food with the hungry? The Africa Bible commentary had this, had this uh, proverb from the Yombe people who is uh, in the western part of the Republic of Congo. The, ver- the proverb goes, we should give our neighbor the bread that we already have in our own mouth. We should not give the poor only those things which we do not want ourselves. As Jesus emphasizes, we should treat others as we ourselves would like to be treated. Another way of saying that was one of the early church fathers, uh, Basil the Great. He says, the bread in your cupboard belongs to the hungry. The coat unused in your closet belongs to the one who needs it. The shoes rotting in your closet belong to the one who has no shoes. The money which you hoard up belongs to the poor. When we fast and we give up things... Guess what, friends? We have new opportunities to share because we're not using it. We don't need it for that time. We can give out of what we're not using. We have an opportunity to realize that, man, I'm hungry. There's a lot of other hungry people out there. How can I give to help them not be as hungry? How can I share from my cupboard? How can I share from my closet? What am I not using? What can be a blessing to those? This connects us with our neighbors, often for whom fasting isn't a choice. It's a way of life. People are hungry every day. In the exercise from camp that I talked about earlier, it was interesting to see it settle upon everybody gathered at dinner what was happening. The people who got a whole bunch of food were really distracted because they had these hamburgers and french fries and Coke that oftentimes they didn't see what was happening around them. And the people like at my table who got the beans and the dirty water were like, uh, I want some of those hamburgers. And there was definitely some tables with hamburgers who ate all the hamburgers and french fries and Coke and didn't realize what had happened until everybody was dismissed from dinner that day. But there were some tables who looked up. And when they realized, wow, there's some tables here who don't have what I have. I have a lot more than I need. And they started to invite people from those tables to their table. Hey, we can, we can share these burgers. If we have to, we can divide them in half. Everybody can have enough here. And sometimes even the tables with the beans and tortillas came and shared with the hamburger people, and they had way more than they needed. And the people with the beans and the dirty water probably tossed out their dirty water, took the beans, but still, everybody could share. And when everybody shared out of what they had, nobody was hungry. Nobody walked away from dinner hungry if everybody shared. We have to give up those things sometimes that make us feel comfortable. And when we fast and we give up that stuff, we can realize how we can better serve those people around us. Finally, another way that fasting can help us is it can help us resist dependence on things and maybe from becoming addicted to things. 
The goal of fasting, like verse 6 of, this, uh, of our reading today says, is to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. First of all, this can be for ourselves. Fasting can loosen the chains of things towards which we can be tempted, towards which we can feel dependent, and maybe towards those things which we can be addicted to. If we are able to give things up for a time, we can loosen those chains on our lives. Whether it's food, whether it's spending money, which we'll talk about later, it could be anything. Now don't get me wrong here, fasting is not a replacement for serious addiction that needs some kind of professional medical help. But hopefully fasting is something that can prevent us from heading down that road if we tend that way anyways. Second, this can also be for others. By our new opportunities to provide for others, we can hopefully help lift them out of a state where they feel like dependence and addiction is the only road because they are using that to cover up for some other pain in their lives. If we can feed people and make them feel less hungry and less painful, we can help lift them out of that potential dependence. So that's fasting, and we've learned a little bit about what it can do to help us help ourselves and to turn around and serve our neighbors. Let's talk a little bit about being frugal. Why should we be frugal? First of all, it gives us a freedom from trusting in money and stuff to fulfill our lives. When we live simply and we have more opportunities with our time and money, our trust will shift from money and things towards God. And towards the end of our reading today in verse 8, God promises that your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. When you fast and when you give up of your dependence on money and things, you trust more in God and God will go before you. Rather than like the Israelites fasting and looking for God's um, affirmation and appearing to be humble, when you actually fast, when you actually serve, and when you actually give through pe- to people, that's when God blesses you. Sometimes, actually, and probably often, having lots of money and stuff isn't proof of blessing. I think we can feel like we see people who have all the things on TV, all the money they could ever want. We think, man, God has blessed those people. But if you dig a little deeper, that's probably not the case. On the flip side of that, it seems like the blessing in this verse happens not when you just have things and have stuff, but when you can freely give it up and give it to other people's. That's when God's blessing shows up. This reality of being frugal and letting go of things was kind of forced onto myself and Courtney about two years ago when I was let go from a job that I'd had for three years. We talked about it for a little bit. I thought about getting a new job and we kind of wrestled and I said, you know, I really want to do this ordination thing. I need to focus. Can I just stay home? Courtney was like, uh, well, let's run the numbers. So we worked it out. I was able to stay home, but we had to give up some stuff. There were things that we liked that we had to give up. We had to remove some some, some subscriptions from our bank account because they weren't really going to be useful and we didn't need them. We really decided what is the things that we just want and what do we really need during this time? 
And we realized throughout the two years that we could be content with a lot less than we thought. And the other realization was, man, when we had two incomes and we're doing fine now, what did we do with all that money before? Where did it go? And we committed that once I got a job, that we would be a little, we would keep that frugality, that we would use the money that we had now for better purposes and not just for spending it on ourselves. And that's how I got here today, folks. You guys were kind of the confirmation of us living our lives in that way. So when we, we, when we are frugal, we let go of our trust in our money and stuff to be a fulfillment. And then like fasting, that opens up space for us to be generous with our finances. Verse 7 of the reading today says that when we fast in this way that God wants, we should provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. If we're spending less on ourselves, filling our closets and drawers with less things, we will have more opportunities to bless those who may struggle to meet their own needs and to fill their own closets and drawers rather than just focusing on our own wants. If you remember the quote from St. Basil the Great earlier, he closes it with saying, the money which you hoard up belongs to the poor. An author that I read, uh, Father James Martin, he's a Catholic, he wrote the, The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything in Life. It's a good book. He says in it that living simply means that one needs less, takes less from the world, and is therefore more able to give to those who live in poverty. Living simply can aid the poor. When we decide just to live simply, to only fulfill what we need, we have more opportunities to aid those around us who don't have as much as we need. And the other bonus of that is what we get to resist when we are being more frugal. We get to resist jealousy and kind of that arms race of, well, I need more stuff. My neighbor's got this new barbecue. I need that new barbecue. My neighbor's got this new car. I need that new car. When we're not worried about those things, that jealousy goes away and we can be content with where we're at and the the gifts that God has given us. Verse 10 of the reading finally says, If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. If we're worried about what we don't have and constantly comparing ourselves to others, like this verse, we're going to be living in a little bit of darkness because we're missing the good things that God has already given us. We're missing the opportunities to be gracious for how God has already blessed us. And on the flip side of that, then we miss the opportunities that God has placed before us to be blessings to others if we're so concerned with ourselves. Later in his book, The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything, uh, James Martin says, freeing yourself from the need to have more and more means that you may paradoxically be more satisfied. If you're not constantly worried about, I need more, I need this, I need to feel happier, I need that toothpaste to make my teeth look whiter, I need that suit so I can get that girl. If you give up that, you can be more satisfied in your life. God wants you to be more satisfied in your life. God doesn't just want to give you more things, friends. God wants you to be content and to trust on him, to lean on his everlasting arms. So how do we do this? How do we fast? How do we be more frugal? 
And the other spiritual discipline messages I've given, we've had an opportunity to actually practice that. It's a little harder to practice fasting and frugality today, aside from locking the doors and having you all not leave to eat lunch. Or if we all pulled out our credit cards and started cutting them up or something like that. But rest, I'm not going to ask you to do any of that today. So here's some things you can do, some applications you could take with us. If you want to fast, some options are you can, of course, fast from food from time to time. This is probably the most uh, notable and one that we think of. It could be simply for a day or a couple days. And if you want to go longer, please consult your doctor. I'm not a doctor professional. You want to make sure that you're actually getting some nourishment if you're going for multiple times, multiple days. And as you're doing it, pray. Write a journal. Why, why am I doing this? Why am I here? What do I feel like God is saying to me as I'm fasting? When am I hungry? Where am I hurting? What do I need to repent from? Let God be your focus. Let God tell you that you are okay, that you are provided for, you are forgiven, and you are loved. Uh, you can also fast from distractions. This could be anything. Anything in your life that might be distracting you or taking your focus on God, something that you're spending an undue amount of time on. One time I, on, a, on a youth trip, we went to, I think we went to Six Flags like the youth did uh, this last week, and I was on a roller coaster. And apparently on that roller coaster, my cell phone jetted out of my pocket and ended up somewhere in a field, probably broken. And I made, I don't think I took it as too much of a sign from God, but I kind of said like, eh, I'm not going to replace my cell phone for a while. I think it was about a month I went without a cell phone. First week was maddening. Just that like, oh, I need to, nope. Oh, nope. I can't talk to this person. I can't send them a message. But then it started to settle in of like, wow, it's kind of quiet. This is nice. I don't have to worry about somebody bugging me all the time. If I want to talk to somebody, I actually have to like talk to them or call them on the phone at home. It made me realize that probably my phone was receiving a little bit of an imbalanced focus in my life and taking up too much time for me and distracting me from my opportunity to spend time with God or to spend time with others. So whatever that might be for, for you, remove that from your life for a time. One week, two weeks, one month, a year, whatever you feel like you need. Again, spend some time journaling about how you feel, what God is speaking to you during that time, and how that might be working out for you. Frugality. How can we be more frugal? Uh, some steps from that Jesuit guide to almost everything uh, by Father James Martin. He gives, you, he gives three steps. He says, first, get rid of whatever you don't need. Go through your house. Go through your garage. Go through your car. I don't need that. Get that out of here. It's distracting me. Secondly, he says, distinguish between wants and needs. This is hard for us. But man, do I have this because I want it? And it makes me feel somehow justified by having it? Or do I have this because I need it? Thirdly, he says, and finally, get rid of things that you think you need, but can actually live without. I feel like I need those six coats in my closet. I probably don't. I feel like I need those 20 shoes in my closet. Probably don't. 
I feel like I need that subscription box that shows up on my doorstep every month. Probably don't. And then out of that space, find ways that you can bless others with your time and your money that's now freed up because you are getting rid of stuff, especially for those greater in need. Um, I've learned, learned about a few things, and one of them I mentioned in your bulletin at the bottom of it. There's this project called Project Buy Nothing. And basically what it is, is it's an online community that's set up locally all over the world where people have committed to just give. You're not spending money. If you want something, you can ask for something, and then somebody can fulfill that need. They do it without money. If you want to give something, you put it on there. You don't ask for money, and anybody who wants it can come get it. So as you're emptying out closets or you're doing whatever, you can participate in those kind of things as a community of people saying, we're just giving freely. We don't expect anything in return. We're just letting it go. Now, for both of these, I also want to acknowledge that sometimes some of us aren't able to live any more frugally than we already are. We are all in different spaces. Some of us can give a lot more. Some of us have more wants versus needs. And there are some of us who really are just barely able to meet our needs. Now, if you're hearing this message today and you're feeling guilty and you're barely able to meet your needs, no, this is not for you. God told the rich young ruler to sell all you have and give to the poor. He only told that once to one person. He didn't say to the poor young widow in the temple who gave two coins, sell the rest that you have and give to the poor too. No, he acknowledged her for the very little that she gave because he knew that that was everything. And some of us can't fast for various reasons or anything like that. I'm not asking us to kill ourselves for Jesus here, but I'm asking us to find those things in our life which might be distracting which might be leading us into dependence, temptation, and sin. And whether that's through giving it up through fasting or opening up our pocketbook a little bit more, whatever that looks like for you. And ultimately, God may be challenging you to other spiritual disciplines in other ways. And today, this is not your day. Maybe it was centering prayer, Lectio Divina, submission, celebration. It could be any of the others. Finally, these spiritual disciplines are hard because our culture needs you to believe that you need more. You need newer, you need better. Without things, without money, you'll be unsatisfied, unsuccessful, and unhappy. Participating in this, these spiritual disciplines of fasting and frugality should help us move our gaze from ourselves and towards God and towards others. Some have referred to God's vision for the world in this way as the upside-down kingdom. It's upside down because it's not the way the world typically thinks. Those who have all the money and toys and power are the pinnacle of the world's kingdom. They are the blessed. The poor and the homeless, the unsuccessful are the bottom of the kingdom. They're not blessed by God. They're obviously not. They don't have the things that God blesses people with. But in God's upside down vision, it's like the Beatitudes that I read this morning. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who are successful by the world standards have missed the true blessing, have missed the opportunities to be blessed by God. Those who can identify and empathize with the people at the bottom of the world's kingdom 
are truly the most blessed. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Like today's verse concludes, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always and he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. So today, through communion, I think we actually get a little bit of a hint of this. Because this is what Jesus did. If you read in Philippians chapter 2, that great hymn that Paul uses to invite us to imitate Christ's humility. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus had all the things. More than we could ever imagine. He was in the very nature God. But he gave all of that up. He let it go because he knew what the world needed. Not just what he wanted. And because of that, the verse continues, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus didn't prove who he was through the greatness of riches and all of the amazing things that he had. He showed us true blessing by letting all of that go, to come down to us, to sacrifice himself for us and to invite us to this table so that we can know truly what it means to live a blessed life as his community and as his church.